Good morning. Thank you for the lights back there, Stephen. I didn't even have to like calm the crowd or get them back in their seats. You did it. Um, all right. Good morning. Good to see you all. Uh, and uh, for those of you that don't know, my name is Aaron Robertson. I'm one of the elders here at Hope. Uh, and uh, along with my wife, Erica, and our four kids, we've been coming to Hope for about 12 years now. And uh, we love it here. So the uh, thing I look forward to the most each year, uh, I had a hard time with this one. Uh, I kind of like a lot of different things. I really like the seasons, like the transitions of each one. So like I, I'm excited when summer's here, but I'm also excited when fall gets here. And I'm also excited when winter gets here. Uh, and so the thing for me that I kind of came up with is I like the foods. I look forward to the foods of each season. So we're almost coming up on like soup and chili weather. You know, another month, five, six, seven weeks, we'll have some of those cool weekends and we'll have soup. Or in the spring when you first pull out the grill and you get those burgers and brats going, that's something that I really love, those, uh, those seasonal foods. Uh, and I think those of the in our country that uh, don't get seasons miss out on some uh, pretty great things. So um, that's what I look forward to. Uh, we're actually going to be talking a little bit today about this, as you can imagine, uh, with all of our questions. They tend to tie in with, with the, uh, the verses we're looking at. So uh, today we are continuing our summer series uh, that is trying to tell the whole story of Scripture uh, by looking at 16 key verses. All right, there we go. Uh, and uh, so trying to cover the entirety of the Bible uh, in just a few verses, it's certainly an ambitious project. If you saw the book, it's uh, shockingly thin for telling the whole story of the Bible. Uh, but uh, each verse highlights a, a key moment in, in the history of humanity and Israel's history and in our history and kind of uh, helps us understand a new thing about uh, what God's doing. So that book has been a great guide. Uh, if you want to check it out, actually, there's uh, slide or there's things available online. If you want to go to the website, you can kind of get, uh, it's kind of like, uh, oh, what were those uh, little books? So you'd have to read a book in school and you'd go to the, uh, the shortened version that gave you the summary. Uh, the cliff notes. Yeah, this is kind of like a, a cliff notes for the, uh, the Bible. Uh, and so it's been kind of a fun little thing. So uh, to catch us up, we've had 11 stops so far. Uh, first one was creation. Behold, it was very good. God creating the heavens and the earth and placing people in them, human beings created in his image. Uh, and then uh, taking of the fruit, uh, disobedient to God's commands and uh, desires for people and, and sin entering the world. Um, and immediately after that, God issues his first promise to Eve, talking about uh, an heir, a seed of Eve, will bruise the head of the serpent. Um, and then Abraham, another calling out more promises of God. Uh, In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Uh, and from that, a particular tribe of Judah, the scepter shall not depart from Judah. Talking about a king that is coming that will rule forever. Uh, slavery in Egypt, and then the Exodus. And we see this uh, provision that God puts in, the painting of the door uh, with blood in the Passover. 
um, and, and looking to sacrifice as, as a way for God to uh, pass over the sins. Uh, and then God's people are charged. This is how I want you to live and order your lives and your families, your communities. Um, Obey my voice and keep my covenant and you shall be my treasured possession. Uh, King David comes out of those earlier promises, those covenants. He is of the tribe of Judah and he is promised again, I will establish your throne forever. There's a coming heir that will uh, extend your reign forever. Um, And lots of sin, there's uh, lots of... (laughs) discord in Israel, a lot of other things happening. Uh, and in that, uh, God's people are judged. There's various uh, judges, prophets in the Old Testament that, that bring this out. But uh, God's answer to all this is the promise of a suffering servant. All of our sins, all of our iniquity will be laid on him. Uh, and then last week, uh, we looked at uh, one of my favorite passages in Ezekiel, and uh, our favorite passages, it is in Ezekiel. I don't have many favorite passages in Ezekiel, just this is kind of the one. Um, <laughs> the rest of it, I, it, I don't know, too much for my mind. Um, but uh, the Valley of Dry Bones and God working this beautiful miracle, taking these dusty, dry, breaking bones that scattered across this valley, and he sews them back together, knits them up, and puts flesh in them, and breeds his spirit breath of life into him, pours his spirit into them, uh, and all these incredible promises of God. Um, and so summarize it, or no, first, this is what we're doing this week. Fulfillment! Yay! Uh, we start to see some resolution to all these uh, happenings of the Old Testament, all these promises, all these covenants that uh, God has put before his people. Uh, so here's where we're at. God created a kingdom, and he is the king, but he made human beings to represent him in that kingdom. Adam and Eve rejected this call, which led to sin and death. But God promised to defeat the serpent through the seed of the woman, who is also the seed of Abraham. Through Abraham's family, and specifically Judah's royal seed, David Uh, the covenant blessings would come to the world. Because all people were guilty and deserved death, the sacrifices of the Mosaic law revealed more clearly their need for a substitute, the suffering servant. Through the servant and the work of the Spirit, God would establish a new covenant and give lasting life to his people in the new heavens and new earth. And then today, Jesus is the one through whom all of these promises find fulfillment. Uh, so exciting news, we're leaving the Old Testament behind, sort of, and moving into the New Testament. It's a big transition. Uh, we're going to be looking at Mark 1, 14 through 15, and uh, we see Jesus burst on the scene. Uh, we don't go to his birth and the nativity and the manger and the angels and shepherds, all that, uh, but where Jesus bursts onto the scene and, and initiates his ministry. Um, and he initiates it as the fulfillment of God's promises and the culmination of God's redemptive work with humanity. So uh, before we look at that, though, we kind of need to give ourselves some more context. Uh, so we're in verse 14 of chapter 1. We can go back. We will go back and look at those first 13 verses. But uh, you really can't begin any of the Gospels without looking at what came before them. Uh, and so... What came right before the Gospels? Uh, I don't need any answers from the crowd, but uh, the answer is nothing. Not really. In the immediate context of the Gospels, 
uh, that's the gospel certain. There's been 400 years of silence, uh, 400 years since God's people had received a word from the Lord, from prophets, uh, since any recorded history uh, in the Old Testament. Um, that's a long stretch. So uh, it's actually kind of a shocking stretch of years without any advance in the biblical account. Uh, so for comparison, the uh, 400 years before that, from 800 to 400 BC, is absolutely packed with God's revelation, with God's action amongst his people, with uh, prophets and kings and priests and temples and all this other stuff. Uh, Second Kings, Second Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther are all packed in that previous 400 years, along with uh, all the prophets. So over those 400 years, one at least uh, prophet was active at the whole time. And often there was two or three or four prophets at once doing their ministry and speaking words from the Lord. Uh, so really just cram packed those years. And then all of a sudden we get the end of Ezra and Nehemiah and Malachi and it just stop end, uh, nothing. And so, uh, it's kind of crazy. Like there's this, this building, like all this activity of God, all these words from God, all these uh, exile and return to the city, things are looking up uh, and then nothing. Uh, it, it's uh, kind of a shocking change from all this momentum that seems to be building. Uh, there's judgment in those 400 years, persecution, exile, uh, internal fracturing of Israel again. There's external oppression by foreign rulers, departures from God, returns to God. Uh, and through it all, God remains faithful. Uh, but there's nothing. It's just silence. Um, so at the end of the Old Testament, we see this. Ezra and Nehemiah, they lead this return. Uh, a lot of the Jewish exiles are coming back in. They're rebuilding the city of Jerusalem. Um, and it looks good. They're dealing with some different things, persecution, some internal stuff. Uh, at the same time as they're doing this incredible stuff, the, the final three prophets are also speaking words against Israel. It's like, okay, all this good stuff happening, and your rulers are not representing God. Your religious leaders are not representing God. The general people, they're, they're walking away from God again. All those years of exile don't uh, seem to have broken any of the habits of God's people. Um, and it's kind of crazy. There's this urgency and there's this imminence as this is all is happening. Uh, and then nothing. It's 400 years of silence, of, of radio static. That was for dramatic effect. <laughs> uh, awkward silence, right? 400 years of people waiting. Lord, where are you? What do you have to say to us? What do you want from us as a people? Nothing. Uh, so there's rises and falls of the Jewish nation. There's the Greeks. There's the Romans. There's false prophets that come up and that are struck down. Uh, there's failed attempts to overthrow Greek and Roman rule. Uh, there's religious zealots. There's power-hungry religious rulers and no word from God. Uh, so during those years, those 400 years, God's people begin to attach crazy things to their hopes for the fulfillment of God's promises. 
Uh, in their waiting, they begin to imagine all sorts of stuff, how, how they would write the next chapter in God's story. They've got political, spiritual, economic, and social aspirations that all get attached to their dreams for what God's promised Messiah would bring in. And so we arrive at the Gospels and at the book of Mark, and the people of God are confused, they're fractured, they're anxious, but they're also a longing people. They're desirous. God, what would you say to us? What are you doing? Where have you been 400 years? Um, and uh, so we get into Mark, and we start with John the Baptist. Uh, there's a lot of great pictures of John the Baptist. He, he kind of uh, has a reputation, and every representation of uh, him is, is pretty glorious like this. Um, so his role is to prepare the way of the Lord. And he comes and he preaches confession, repentance, and baptism. And he's trying to reset Israel's expectations for the coming Messiah. They're thinking... Messiah, king, raise an army, get rid of these Romans, figure out this religious and spiritual life of Israel, all this stuff. They've got all these desires. And uh, John comes and he confronts all those things, all those false expectations by preaching confession and repentance and baptism. Uh, his message confronts uh, all those things and his own uh, image and his own uh, witness is actually kind of a, confrontation to all those desires for power or control or wealth or whatever else. Uh, he lives in the wilderness. He looks something like that. He's got the, the hairy clothes, the bad clothing choices, he's got the poor diet, uh, all this stuff that's like, okay, th this is different. Uh, so nothing about him or his message would have conformed to people's expectations. Uh, he, he's preparing the way of the of the Lord. And what's interesting, the bits and pieces we get of John's ministry uh, he gets a warm reception, not by everyone, but for the earnest, the honest uh, longings of the humble and weak, his message of confession and repentance is good news, right? They come and they, they come in droves out to the Jordan to be baptized. Uh, but we can also see other places, a lot of the political rulers, the religious rulers, I would get hints, they kind of either ignored him or suppressed him, or uh, in Herod's case, outright persecuted and end up killing John the Baptist, right? Um, so their expectations for this are a little bit different. Uh, so 400 years of silence, uh, imagine breaking that silence uh, with this guy, right? It's kind of a bold move. 400 years of silence, and you send this guy to the desert to prepare the way. Um, John, Jesus shows up after that. He's baptized by John. He's validating that work that John's been doing. And uh, they both point to the coming baptism by the Spirit that will fulfill God's promises. And we actually see in Mark, uh, just before our passage, Jesus leaves, driven out by the Spirit, and uh, into the wilderness where he's tempted. And uh, so Luke's account of temptation is a little bit longer than uh, Mark's very brief one, but uh, it sheds some extra light on, on it that's good for us to look at. So Satan tempts uh, Jesus in three ways. One of them is about provision. You know, how will God provide for you? Uh, and Jesus in his hunger is tempted by that or promises the kingdoms of the earth, right? He promises them power, control, glory, those kind of things. And the last one, he, he, he tempts God with protection. Watch the Lord protect you. Uh, and Jesus... Uh, 
is tempted by all those things. But those, those things are strikingly similar to some of the expectations God's people would have had for the Messiah, that God will provide for them abundantly. Um, like the bread that, that, uh, that Satan tempts, or that God would provide kingdoms, power, control. They would have expected that. Overthrow these Romans, right? Uh, or they, he would have provided protection. Um, and we have a lot of those same desires, those same temptations. Um, so we're going to look at our passage today, Mark 1, 14 through 15. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So there's three key things that uh, the book, I I pointed to the floor because I thought I brought my book, but it's not there. Uh, The book uh, uh, points out these three things in this passage. That's what we're going to focus on today. So the first one is that Jesus says, the time is fulfilled. Uh, Secondly, he proclaims that the kingdom of God is at hand. And finally, he calls people to repent and believe in the gospel. So we're going to take a a deeper look at each of those three things. Um, So as we think about what Jesus is getting at when he says the time is fulfilled, we need to remember back to those 400 years of silence, this growing expectation, this longing, this groaning, this ache in the people's souls to hear from God. Um, and, and uh, all this incredible activity of the Old Testament just stopped in this just waiting, this period of waiting. Um, those 400 years would have been a crucible of patience. And you can kind of imagine it, it's like, uh, you know, always winter, never Christmas from the Chronicles of Narnia, just this growing, Lord, show up, say something, reveal yourself to us uh, for 400 years. Awkward silence for 400 years. Um, and it would have grieved a lot of the faithful that have been reading the prophecies, been hearing these promises, and then nothing. Um, and so that, uh, that long season, we all have seasons of this in our lives where we're waiting on the Lord and uh, doubts come in and we drift and our hearts and our minds start to go other things, go other places. God's people would have replaced, would have replaced godly longing and desire with uh, fleeting but... Uh, seemingly attainable expectations for political or social or economic or religious idols, right? Like, well, we're not hearing from the Lord, and so let's overthrow the Romans, or let's do this, or let's really get legalistic and pharisaical and kind of control our religious life. Um, Personally, I'm not good at patience. Uh, My wife can tell you she hates holidays because I buy a present, and I'm like, you want to see it? Like, no, wait till Christmas. Well, don't you want to know? No, I want to wait till Christmas. Okay, what'd you get me? I'm not telling you. You have to wait. Uh, Every holiday season, we go through this. And uh, our modern culture doesn't do a whole lot to help us cultivate it. Um, And uh, there's just so many good things to look forward to, right? Like for me, it's as simple as like a like on social media or or donut or like vacations, time with friends. Uh, But we also have deeper longings, right? Uh, In the the waiting on the Lord. Uh, Waiting to hear from a doctor. Waiting to hear that good news, hopefully. Uh, waiting for clarity on a big life decision or for personal healing, relational healing. Uh, maybe it's a Viking Super Bowl victory. Right? Uh, we wait, we long for these things and they just kind of stretch on forever. 
Um, and the complicated nature of a lot of those kind of things, they uh, increase the sense of helplessness. They kind of leave us like, oh Lord, like you gotta do something because I, I, I don't know, I can't uh, figure this out. And, and so um, if we're not careful, we can treat these kinds of longings like a Christmas list, right? Like uh, we kind of know, Lord, here's what I want. Here's what you should be doing. I know what I would do and so you should do that, right? We kind of think we know what God uh, how he should answer our prayers. Um, and we, we attach desires to our prayers, to our walk with God, and we end up kind of being like Job, uh, where he's kind of trying to hold God to account. Why didn't you give me what I deserve? Like, I'm a righteous man, I follow God, um, and I don't get it. Uh, so for me, my deepest longing, uh, probably maybe after not after, just before a, a Viking Super Bowl victory, uh, the deepest longings, deepest aching kind of anticipation has always been stirred up in my darkest moments in my journey with uh, anxiety and depression. Uh, there's a sense of complete vulnerability and helplessness, powerlessness. It, it's terrifying. Uh, but at the same time, God has often used that to shape my longings kind of the simplest and deepest needs in my soul. It's just to be known and to be loved. Um, and in that, those moments, that soul ache, uh, God uses that to kind of show how simple and clear and powerful his love is, his grace for us. Um, scripture's actually uh, loaded with this kind of uh, language. Um, talks about the spirit interceding for us. Uh, with supplications to God the Father that our souls can't even come up with words for. Uh, we, like all of creation, we groan inwardly for the fulfillment of all of God's redemptive promise. All through the uh, Bible, littered with these longing expectations. Uh, deer panting for the water, so my soul longs for you, Lord. Our souls faint and our heart and flesh may fail, but God abides forever. Even the call to love the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength is a call to kind of turn all of our longings, all every fiber of our being towards what God can do uh, in us and through us. Um, Proverbs 13, 12 tells us that hope deferred makes the heart sick, but it is a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. Uh, hope deferred makes the heart sick. I think we've probably all been in those places, even if it's as silly as something like a, a Vikings uh, Super Bowl victory, like kind of the cynicism there, the sickness there, uh, but uh, that desire fulfilled, the tree of life. Um, it's in those times, uh, that desperation of soul, that God often provides the clarity we need regarding our dependence on God. In those uh, dark moments, it's the truths of salvation that shine most brightly. So, this is a self-portrait I did a couple of years ago in the midst of a personal season of struggle. Um, the confinement and the pressure of the isolation of my anxiety and, and depression were, were tremendous, but uh, in those moments, God was gracious to grant me that little channel for light and breath and hope and beauty to, to come in my life. Um, it became so clear, all these other things pressing in on me and, and pulling at me and everything else, uh, that there was only one place to look, only one place to, uh, to feel, uh, know where my life came from and to know where hope and joy could be found even when those things were, were hard to find in that moment. Uh, 
in those dark moments, I knew in the most profound way that it is by grace alone, by faith alone, according to the richness of God's mercy and because of his great love for me, uh, that I could have hope and joy. And his power and his presence and provision uh, were seen to be all that I needed uh, from God. And so it's into this kind of context that Jesus shows up on the scene, these aches of the people of God for him to say something, for him to do something. Um, And uh, so when he says the time is fulfilled, uh, that's announcing that uh, expectations are about to be met. All these longings, all these things uh, are going to be happening and uh, those expectations, those aches, they run all the way back to the Garden of Eden. So the soul satisfaction from that, uh, that would come from hearing those words, the time is fulfilled, it's beyond description. Uh, it it uh, isn't just getting what you want for Christmas and like, yes! Uh, it's not a uh, Vikings championship, and I'll probably cry when that happens, when, not if. Uh, but you can pick whatever joyous occasion in life that you want, a uh, life-altering event, and, and it doesn't compare to that proclamation, the time is here. The time is here. Jesus is here, right? That good news. Uh, and, and so it's a sweet relief for God's people to hear that from Jesus. The time is fulfilled. Uh, I almost asked our worship team, I was thinking about asking them to sing uh, a couple Christmas hymns today uh, because of how well they capture some of this longing, right? A lot of those Christmas songs we love uh, really play on this. So come thou long expected Jesus. The whole song is about this longing, this waiting, this desire uh, for God to show up. Or O Come, O Come, O Manuel beautifully talks about just the ache of God's people to to see uh, his promises fulfilled. Uh, But the best uh, kind of line that, that I, I know uh, comes from uh, O Holy Night. Uh, and this will be a feel, familiar one. I'm not going to sing it, uh, but a thrill of hope. The time is fulfilled. A thrill of hope. Uh, a weary world rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Uh, the time is fulfilled. God's people hear that from Jesus uh, and in their souls, there's these little bursts of joy and life and light uh, that God is on the scene again. He's speaking again. Um, and so when Jesus says the time is fulfilled, we see it in, in other gospels and we, he goes into the temple. It's an uh, invitation for joy. It's a declaration of good news for the poor, freedom for the captives and for the oppressed. It's sight for the blind. It's a year of the Lord's favor. Um, and so that's the, the time is fulfilled. We can pass over that and not understand the weight of that for God's people. Something is finally happening. Um, So he follows up this statement on time being fulfilled by proclaiming that the kingdom of God is at hand. And the two are directly related. Time is fulfilled. Kingdom of God is now going to start up, right? Um, And uh, so God's promises, his covenants, uh, they are going to inaugurate this new covenant, this new kingdom. Um, and uh, I was talking with Drew, and he suffers from a, a similar problem sometimes. My, my slides show kind of peters off about uh, halfway through because I, I just need it to be done. Uh, so from here on out, the slides will be uh, less engaging than they've already been. So 
<laughs> Sorry about that. But the, when Jesus says that the kingdom is at hand, he's making a proclamation of power and of authority, right? A kingdom isn't just kind of a, you know, imaginary world. He, he's talking about rule and reign. Uh, and so he's talking about the ordering of all of life. God's people, in hearing this, when, when Jesus says the kingdom of God is at hand, they would have understood it to mean God is going to organize all this light. He's going to redeem. He's going to restore. He's going to renew relationships. They're going to look at those Old Testament prophecies of uh, turning the sons to fathers and fathers, their hearts to one another, of heart of stone being a heart of flesh. All these promises uh, would have come to mind for, for God's people. Um, culture and governance and economics and relationships and law and justice and spirituality all would have kind of been, oh, this kingdom, like things are going to be different now. Um, and they people would have been looking for the ruler of this kingdom. That's part of what John was preparing and that's part of what God, Jesus is announcing himself as. Um, so for a lot of people in Israel, this proclamation of kingdom uh, would have immediately had them thinking of politics and the overthrow of Roman occupation, right? Like, they're the big bad guys. They're in our space. They're taxing us. They're, you know, all the stuff that comes with it. Uh, we know from scripture and from uh, other things outside of scripture that there is more than a few folks in Israel uh, that were looking for exactly this sort of liberation, the promised king, the promised Messiah. Surely this means the Romans are done for here, right? Um, and a lot of them would have been thinking, all right, this kingdom's here. We've got a king. We better start raising an army, right? Uh, the 400 years of silence, there'd be all these political and economic and religious expectations bubbling and brewing. And uh, many would have been willing, ready to do whatever it took to see Jewish people freed from Roman control. Uh, at the same time as Jesus' ministry, there's a group called the Zealots that's kind of starting up, and it's people that are looking to do this exact thing. We're going to overthrow the Romans. Um, so hearing of the kingdom and coupled with the declaration of the time being fulfilled, that would have triggered all sorts of thoughts and emotions regarding what God might do next. They're thinking, okay, we're going to deal with this. We're going to deal with that. All right, finally, we're going to see this happening, right? Uh, they'd be ready to take up arms, you know, we know that there's going to be bloodshed. If we're going to get rid of these Romans, if we're going to deal with this, uh, there, there's going to be bloodshed. Um, and uh, they wouldn't have been wrong in that, in establishing this kingdom. It, it would take bloodshed, right? But it wouldn't be the bloodshed of their enemies. It wasn't bloodshed of the Romans. Is is their suffering servant, their Messiah, that actually would bleed and die to establish this kingdom. Um, All right, this pause is not planned. <laughs> yeah, so we see this, Jesus Christ, he's, he's shedding the only blood that will ever need to be spilled uh, for his kingdom. Uh, his bloodshed is once for all sacrifice that brings peace and unity and forgiveness. His rule and reign uh, are eternal and they're founded not upon arms, strength of arms, of political rule, of control, uh, but his kingdom is founded on love and grace and mercy, on, on sacrifice uh, and giving up of oneself. Um, so Israel's people hearing this, the kingdom of God is here. They'd have all these expectations, uh, misguided hopes and longings, and uh, they'd expect the called arms, some of them, overthrow the Romans. Others 
would have been waiting for an affirmation of their pharisaical religious fervor. Like the Pharisees are just waiting. All right, this new kingdom, surely God's going to validate us, right? Because we do all the right stuff, do all the right things. Um, Or others, there's a group called the Essenes. They kind of were like ascetics. They were withdrawing. They'd be like, all right, the kingdom of God is here. We're going to kind of go do our own thing now and be pure and holy and and kind of, uh, yeah, have our own space to, to be God's people. Um, today, if God were coming and saying kingdom of God is here, we, we might expect some of us to have a call to stuff the ballots or maybe to retreat into Christian enclaves or maybe we'd really stir up a religious fervor for legalism, right? And that proves our religious worthiness. Um, but like many in Jesus' day, we'd get it wrong. And we see this in the next section here. So after announcing the coming kingdom, Jesus completely flips expectations on their heads. I didn't say the kingdom of God is at hand. And so we're going to raise an army. The kingdom of God is at hand. So we're going to, you know, fill in the blank. The kingdom is God of God is at hand. And so repent and believe. Wait, like that, that doesn't feel like what the people are longing for. Repent and believe. That's a different story than what they've been telling themselves. Right? Like what about the Romans? What about the corrupt religious leaders or, or the broken economy? Or uh, why, why doesn't he go after all the sinners who are living unholy lives, right? That would have been the expectation. But repent and uh, believe. Uh, one of the most fascinating aspects of Jesus' ministry is the way he continually defies expectations. There's all sorts of interactions where we see that people are trying to get Jesus to say or do something uh, that they kind of think they can corner him with this, that, or the other thing. Uh, and, and he always breaks free in, in a way only God can do, right? So he didn't conquer the Romans and he didn't overthrow religious lu- rulers. He didn't tear down a broken economic sinners. And he didn't go around scolding all the sinners who couldn't keep themselves pure. He largely left those things intact, right? Instead, he started a kingdom built on sacrifice, on humility, on grace and mercy and love. Uh, he didn't make a power play for all the way that, ways that the world tries to order life. Instead, he became a servant, uh, showing that his kingdom would operate uh, differently. So uh, Jesus, in saying repent and believe, he's going a lot deeper than uh, the, the shallower longings or expectations of people. And he strikes at the very heart of the matter. Uh, none of the rest of that stuff really amounts to much if God's people don't first address their need for forgiveness in order to enjoy the presence of God. So don't hear me wrong. Uh, Roman oppression was evil, right? It needed to be dealt with. Uh, The crushing weight that the Pharisees put on people for their religious life, that was wrong, right? Um, The sin of the people that was unaddressed, undealt with, that, that needed to be dealt with. But uh, it needed to come after this first thing, right? So there's important things for us today, things we should be passionate about as believers, right? Things we should stand up for, whether by voting or volunteering or giving or confronting, whatever it may be. Uh, but what Jesus points out here, when he's talking about his coming kingdom, uh, is that we must first be right with God before anything else, before any action, for any 
thing at all. It tells us to repent and believe, confess and repent. This involves recognizing Jesus' ultimate authority over the ordering of our lives and our loves, of our longings and desires. Uh, in calling us to repent and believe, God is demanding that we submit all of our longings um, and our expectations to his rule and his reign. So uh, we often, we kind of need to recalibrate our deepest desires, right? I find myself doing this, you know, uh, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. I got little things where I start to put hopes and expectations on God's promises or for what I think a walk with God should look like. And I need to recalibrate um, and uh, need to orient those things around the things that God died to fulfill the promises that he gave. So um, the deepest ache in our soul and the foundation of all our fears, the, the great source of all anxiety, depression, it goes back to our separation from God, right? Until we've confronted those and had those dealt with, we have nothing to give the world. So we might care about the Roman occupation and we might care about the pharisaical rulers or whatever, you know, their modern equivalents, uh, but we've got to start with that, get right with God, confess and repent. Um, and uh, when we confess, when we turn from our sin, when we come before God with those things, we're trusting him for the fulfillment of all his promises, not according to our expectations, but according to his character. Um, and uh, we surrender ourselves. That confession and that repentance, believing in the gospel is a, a beautiful surrender to his love, to his grace, his mercy, uh, even when we know we should have judgment. Uh, it acknowledges the rightness and goodness of his rule and reign in our lives, uh, and it frees us from the burden of having to figure things out on our own. Um, so repentance, it's this repentance, both a relief and a release, right? We place ourselves in God's hand uh, and that's how we enter the kingdom. Uh, not through arms, right? To bear arms, not through uh, raising an army, not through all these different things we might think, but through this confession, this repentance and coming before God and accepting his grace, we enter into uh, his kingdom. So uh, we actually experience the fullness of his kingdom when we do that. Uh, when we come humbly before God, he gives us his power uh, through his spirit. We see his kingdom take root in our souls and then extend itself into the world around us as the fruits of the spirit begin to display themselves in our lives, right? Um, the power and provision that the world offers uh, that we often long for are replaced by desires to taste and see more of God's goodness. Um, and so we're going to close here in just a minute, but, uh, that, that long waiting on the Lord, we all have seasons of this. We all have situations. We all have relationships, um, that we have this waiting for this expectation. Uh, and, and we hear God say time is fulfilled. He, he's going to answer our prayers. He's going to do these things. Um, this, this passage really is a reminder to check our expectations. What is it that God has promised? Uh, we can look to Job. What, what was promised to God or from God? He remained faithful and he's angry, right? But God says, you know, none of this was promised to you. You didn't deserve this or earn this. God granted it back to him. We have those in those moments of longing. We have these expectations. And so uh, when we come to God 
and we expect answers to our prayer, we need to look at our expectations and trust that God knows what is right and and, uh, pay attention to his call for confession and repentance. And here's the beautiful thing with uh, this. Uh, We're believing in the gospel, Uh, the good news, right? The time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. That is good news. That's what we get to believe, that Christ has come, that he's come and acted uh, with purpose and with finality over sin and death and, and uh, his blood, his sacrifice, his uh, life of servanthood uh, can become ours. So um, that's good news indeed. Um, all right, so we're going to close. A couple of questions here. Um, it's like six, so that's more than a couple. Um, but what are your soul's deepest longings? What are you waiting on the, lo- the Lord for? Um, are those things you're asking of the Lord, are they aligned with the promises of God? Are they aligned with what Christ died uh, to satisfy? Um, it's been a good question, good passage for me this week because I got, you know, as a parent, I always got things I'm wishing and praying for my kids and as a, a husband and a father, as a, a sinner, like I got all these things that I'm working on. Lord, why haven't you done this? Why haven't you changed this in my life? Lord, why haven't you given me clarity on this? Um, I've got all these longings, um, but like that, that dark moment in my anxiety and depression, like, am I actually going before God with that deepest longing? God, I, I need to experience you. I need to be in your presence. I need to experience your love and your care. Uh, as much as I want X, Y, or Z to happen in my life or in this relationship, I need first, I need to see you. Um, so what are those longings? Uh, are you experiencing the sweet surrender of confession and repentance? Uh, this is a hard one for me. I kind of like to think I'm right, and I kind of like to uh, think I'm competent, and I kind of got things sorted out, and then life happens, and I'm shown to not be competent uh, and to not be right uh, and, and the longings in my heart leading me astray. So uh, what longings of your soul might need to be recalibrated? To, oh, you know what, God, this, this isn't of you. Or maybe let go, dropped altogether. Uh, and then how can you stay active in spreading the rule and reign of God's kingdom? Uh, how can you allow the Holy Spirit to lead you in living a kingdom life? Starting with that confession and that repentance, that belief in God, how can you allow the Spirit of God to uh, be at work with you? Um, so we're done here. We're going to have a time of worship as we close here. Uh, I can head back up. Uh, and we're going to have communion. So we've got open communion here. Uh, if you're uh, not familiar, it just means uh, it's going to be in the back, but it means that uh, you don't have to be a member of our church. You don't have to call Hope Your Home uh, to participate. But we would ask that, um, that uh, if you're trusting in the Lord for forgiveness of your sins and for salvation, that you would... Uh, uh, partake of that. So um, I'll pray and then we'll, we'll close in worship. Uh, Heavenly Father, you are good to us. Uh, you are kind and gracious. You are long-suffering. Uh, those 400 years would have felt like an eternity. That's generations uh, waiting for you to show up. Uh, but you were not idle in those years. Uh, and neither are you idle in the moments of our life where we don't hear from you. Uh, You are at work, 
You are still speaking to us. You have filled us with your spirit and will empower us. And so we thank you for that. We rejoice in the good news of the gospel. All those promises, all those hopes, all those desires and longings um, are satisfied in you. The time is fulfilled. Uh, The kingdom is at hand. Uh, And the way to see that happen in our own hearts and in our own lives is to uh, repent and uh, believe, Father. And so we thank you for your word. Uh, We thank you for the chance to worship now. Uh, Your kingdom is one of worship. And so as we begin worship, I just pray that we would uh, rejoice in the goodness of of your care for us. And uh, pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.